Now we're officially ready. Okay, everyone have the source sheet? Thumbs up, source sheet, fantastic. Okay, um, so I'm gonna pull up mine as well, and here we go. So really, the Seder night, there are many different styles to say. I'm gonna move quickly, I hope that's okay. Uh, we just have a lot of ground to cover. I would normally do this over a little bit more time. Um, so Seder night, we have a couple of different options as to which direction we want to go. Um, we can make, uh, you know, there's different themes, and I don't mean in a cutesy way, but there's different focuses, and it really depends on who's at your Seder, who's not at your Seder, um, in terms of how you want to um, think about and conceptualize what your Seder is going to look like. So for some of you, this may be the first time you're hosting your own Seder. Um, and so it, it's an opportunity to really think about what is your ideal Seder going to look like. And certainly a lot of people are rethinking their Seder right now. So it's an opportunity again to think about what your Seder is going to look like. So, and this really depends on who's there. If, you know, so I'll just share with you a couple of different ideas. One is a very heavy personal transformation type Seder, okay? And what that means is thinking about something that you want to break free from, right? We talk about the Geula, the redemption from the subjugation of Egypt, obviously is a historic event, but at the same time, it's something that we are trying to tap into every year. And that means on a personal level, we are asking ourselves, what is something that I'm going to be able to use this night to really help me move me forward and away from something, X, whatever that thing may be that I want to move beyond. And so if you, that's your Seder, which, which takes a lot of planning. It's not just something you want to think about for two seconds and have a cute little discussion, uh, but it's something you want to really take seriously. If you have the time and if this is for you, that means spending a little bit of time right now asking yourself, what are books I could read? What are podcasts I could listen to? Again, if you have kids bouncing off the walls, this is not for you right now. But, um, but, but this is an opportunity to think about what are things, and just in the back of your mind, what are things that I want to be really working through over these next two weeks? So when I get to Seder night, I'm really going to be focusing all my energy on moving beyond something, okay? So again, you want to be reading something uh, ahead of time. You want to be preparing ahead of time. You could also have a very discussion-oriented Seder. This is usually for adults. Uh, it doesn't work so well for kids. But if you want to have a discussion-oriented Seder, you want to find some thought-provoking passages. I have on the source sheet uh, a poem. It's called Magid by Margie Piercy. Um, it's a beautiful poem, but there's you know endless, countless, amazing pieces of, of literature that you could share, um, you know, again, uh, you know, just, just share it ahead of time or maybe ask people to bring in different pieces ahead of time that they want to discuss. If you're leading the Seder, again, it's probably going to be a smaller crowd, but whoever's there, both people or three people or four people could bring one passage and share that passage and take some time discussing that passage, uh, whether it's literature, whether it's a piece from Chazal, from our sages, that would ensure a thought-provoking, discussion-oriented type of Seder. Then, of course, there's the child-friendly Seder, uh, which will necessitate a lot of props and costumes um, and, and, you know, being a little silly at times. Um, and we'll talk about more of that next Thursday night. Uh, but I think the truth is a Seder should be a little bit of a mix of all those pieces. Again, you have to know your crowd. You have to know who you're with. Uh, but some a bit of everything. You know, the goal of the Seder is really to connect to everyone there. And I, I can't emphasize this enough. When people think of a Seder, if you have young children and the goal of your Seder is only about the children and not about yourself, that's not education, right? Uh, the, if you're not actually finding yourself inspired at your Seder in some way, then there's no way you're going to be passing on any value to your children. So yes, there certainly is time and place. And my Seder uh, gets pretty silly um, at times, but there's also times when maybe it's not so child-friendly and that's okay. Um, it has to be meaningful to me as well, or else I'm not really passing on anything of substance to the children. They see it when we are really connected. So it's okay, again, for those who have children, if they're not engaged at every moment of 
of the Seder, but if you're doing something that they see you really, really engaged in, that is a form of education as well. Okay, let's now, with, with that in mind, and again, just planting different seeds about what we, what type of format, what type of setting do we want for our Seder? Let's jump into the Seder itself. The first thing we uh, encounter when we come to the Seder is the Seder plate. I'm going to read to you a translation. It's a pretty accurate translation of a passage from the Arizal. Uh, this is a little mystical, uh, but it's a piece that really speaks to me. And he says like this, okay, I'll read it very quickly. You have it in front of you. Arrange the plate on the table by taking three matzahs and placing them one on the other. First, the lowest matzah, the Yisrael, the Levi, the Kohen. These are the three intellectual faculties. Again, the Arizal is this great mystic and he sees symbolism in everything we do. So he says the three matzahs represent Chachma, Bina, Das. These are three different stages in the thought process. Of course, Chachma, Bina, Das, anyone who has any Chabad connections, that is where the acronym Chabad comes from. Chachma, Ches, Bina, Bez, Das, from that. That's the idea of the intellect. Okay, Um, then... Um, above all these on the right, you place the zroa, that's the, the arm, the chicken piece, corresponding to chesed. Opposite on the left, you place the egg, which represents gevura. P- beneath them in the center, you place the marar, which is tiferes. I'm going to explain this all in a moment. Beneath the zroa on the right, you place the haroses, which is netzach. And opposite on the left, you, uh, you pl- uh, below the egg, you place the karpas, which represents hod. Under the marar, you place the chazeres, which is the other type of marar, which represents yisod. Um, and the plate itself is malchus, which encompasses is all the 10 spheros. Okay, it's 9.15. This is not the time to go so mystical, but it is because this is a beautiful, beautiful piece of Arizal and we're going to try to unpack it in about five minutes less. Um, basically, he's saying like this, okay? We're going to explain each one of these sections. Well, the first thing, again, he says quite clearly is the matzah represents the in- intellect. It's, again, the, the three stages of the intellect and if you ever follow yourself as you have, you know, if you ever faced with a real challenge um, and you're able to really watch your thought process, there's a really cool process that takes place. You know, the light bulb, that they have in the cartoons, if you're watching yourself and you're, you're paying attention to yourself, you oftentimes really experience that light bulb. Like I, I could speak to at times like the idea, something goes off and you know there's an idea there, but you can't even grasp it yet. But you know like something just clicked and then it all comes tumbling down and you have to process it and eventually you're able to formulate that idea. That's Chachma, the Bina is the development and then the Das is when you actually are really fully engaged and connected and you can articulate the, the idea. Those are the three Matas. Again, it corresponds out to our intellectual faculties. Okay, on the on the right you have the zroa. The zroa again is the arm of the chicken, so to speak, and what that represents is the arm of giving. That's why he said that Rizal said it represents what? It represents chesed because chesed is about giving. It's about using your arm to give to others. Okay, that's the zroa. On the other side you have the egg. What does the egg symbolize on the seder plate? What it's there for is a reminder for the destroyed Beis Hamikdash. It's actually a tragic one of the symbols on the Seder plate. It reminds us of the destroyed Beis HaMikdash. Why was the temple, why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? It was due to divine justice, Din, okay? Which represents the need for restraint in our life, right? You're with me now? So we have, on the one hand, you have the Zroa, the giving arm, and then you have the egg, which represents Din, which represents a sense of justice, a sense of holding back, right? Tiferes, which he says is in the middle, is the ability to harmonize and to balance these two things. Um, Some describe this as compassion, which is what we call deliberate love. In other words, a person who is always, 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 always giving, that person is ultimately not, that's not healthy. And a person who is always, always, always taking, that's not healthy either, 
right? We need to find a synthesis. We need to find some harmony between them. So we have the arm of giving on the one hand. We have the holding back, the egg holding back on the other. And you have the synthesis, which is represented, interestingly, by the marar, uh, the marar, which we normally see, um, is something very bitter and something bad. But when we think about it on a deeper level, let's think this through, um, you know, when we restrain ourselves for the sake of love, it's a very difficult exercise. I know many parents right now are really struggling with how to really have restraints right now with their children, right? Uh, you know, 10 minutes of, of video time went to like 10 hours of tech time right now, right? Um, so many people are, you know, how do you hold back properly? Um, but the truth is when we are able to do so, we're all, when we're able to have proper and appropriate restraints in the context of a relationship, um, it's essential to the relationship. We all know that, right? And on the receiving end, it's difficult to receive when someone is balancing that as well. And it demands, when we are receiving some quote-unquote restrained love, it demands great faith to appreciate, to appreciate, and let's bring it back to the Mara. The fact that the Mara represents our servitude, the bitterness in our life, but what we're being asked to do is to remind ourselves that it's not din, it's not God just hitting us over the head, it's actually the synthesis between the giving and the holding back. That yes, it's true, we are at times suffering, at times struggling, but that really is coming not from the, the egg, so to speak, coming from just the, the left hand, the hand of justice and the hand of punishment, but it's coming from the balancing of the two, which is crucial in all of our relationships on when we're on the giving end. But in the context of God, we are thinking about that from a conceptual place in terms of our faith. When we, when we go through, when we experience the Mara in our lives, we try to appreciate that, yes, this is difficult, but it's not coming from a place of anger, a place of hate, but rather it's coming from this balancing act that God is engaging in, okay? Let's go a little bit further on the, on the plate. Um, the charoses reminds us of the very strong mortar, right? The charoses represents the mortar, um, and that what that represents is something very strong. Mortar is very strong, and that's why Netzach, in Kabbalistic uh, thought, Netzach represents overwhelming someone with love, right? You could have someone who is a dominating force, even in a positive way, right? We all know like people who perhaps, again, they're so loving, but it's almost overwhelming. Like you need to take a step back. Uh, that is what we call Netzach. That is represented by the strength of the Charosas. Um, and then we have on the opposite side, you have the lowly vegetable. That's the vegetable, whether it's your potatoes or your celery, whatever your custom is that you're going to dip in. That is on the other side, which represents Hod, which is the exact opposite. It's submission, Right. Um, and also, we know, people who are always giving in, always submissive. And again, there, too, you need the balancing act. In the middle, you have another form of Maro, the Chazeres, which is, again, the balancing between the two. And what we are asking ourselves to ask, to asking ourselves when we see these different pieces and the balance between them is asking ourselves, are we overwhelming people in our relationships? Are we acting like Netzach? Are we completely passive? Are we like Hode or are we able to dance the delicate dance right between these two extremes, right? When we know how to step forward at times and be assertive and at the same time know how to um, allow things to slide at times, allow ourselves to represent that lowly vegetable as well. And so what we're picturing over here when we finish painting this is what? Um, and that's the last thing that Rizal said is that we put them all together represents the full form, which is Malchut, which is not just a king, but it's monarchy. It's an entire establishment. And really when we think about it, and the reason I spent so much time going through this is because it's so fundamental to our Seder night, what the Rizal is suggesting is that the Seder plate represents us. It represents our emotional and intellectual existence. And what that means is that what we're trying to do on Seder night is really 
elevate the entirety of our existence. We're trying to touch every part of our being. We're trying to lift ourselves up. We're trying to become a more refined, more elevated, more spiritual person. And that's why the Seder plate represents every element of our emotional and intellectual being and the bringing them all together. That's what Seder night is all about. It's about recreating ourselves. It's about reimagining who we could be through the experience of the Seder. And we start by envisioning ourselves on the Seder plate because it's not the symbol, the symbol, symbol us. It symbolizes the synthesis and the elevation of who we are. That's our goal on Seder night. Okay? Cool? Um, I think we, we were able to understand this piece about Rizal. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to um, add it to the chat. Um, or just you could take yourself off on, of a mute if you'd like as well. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through step through step of the, the Rizal. Um, excuse me, of the Seder, sorry, um, of the Seder. And we're going to start with, of course, Kaddish or Kiddush. Um, and just one quick thought about Kiddush. Um, the one thing I, I think it's worth emphasizing specifically on Seder night, and I'll read to you, you have the quote in front of you. Uh, this is from Absalavechik. I believe he writes this in his, um, in his uh, Haggadah. He says that uh, we are summoned by God who revealed himself at both the level of universal creation and that of the private covenant to undertake a double mission, the universal human and the exclusive covenant, covenantal confrontation. Okay, where Soloveitchik is speaking to is the fact that we have two things that are taking place simultaneously as Jews. On the one hand, we are people of the world, right? That is our Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is Hayom Haras Olam. We are people that are part of all of civilization. We are, we are expected to engage in all of civilization. We're expected to feel the pain and feel the joys of all of civilization and engage with the world. And at the same time, we have a unique role, and that is the role of being a Jew. On Seder night, and specifically Seder night, and every time we begin Kiddush, one of the most important lines, I believe, is Asher Bacharbanu Mikol HaAmim, the notion that God singled us out Asher literally means God chose us, and we've talked about what that means at other times. But the idea that we've been singled out as a people, that's a theme that we need to think about. Again, it's a time that we're reflecting on how special and important we are, not in a self-serving fashion, but in the sense of what it's expected from us. That is something we're thinking about. Specifically, we start the Seder, and really every holy night, every time we're doing something different and special, um, Shabbos, Yom Tov, Asher Bacharbanu, we have a special role. Yes, um, everyone is in the same boat together, you know, and again, I'm keeping coming back to what we're experiencing right now, but we have a special role, you know? It's up to us to, to act differently, to act better, to act more elevated. You know, if you're walking down the street right now and you're not saying hello to everyone and giving them a huge smile, then you're failing. I, I'm sorry, that was a little harsh, but you, we are. In other words, we have... Uh, we have to hold ourselves to different standards. We really, really do. Asher Bacharbanu means that yes, we are part of the world, but also God expects something special from us. And that's something we should take pride in, pride and joy in, specifically when we say Kiddush, uh, but it also expects and demands something from us. And that's how we start our Seder. Okay. In terms of the Halachos, uh, it's important to note that Kiddush m should take place after Tseis HaKochavim. I don't have uh, my, my calendar in front of me what time that is. Uh, that's nightfall. That's when the three stars come out. You could do everything up until that point, and especially this year when we will unfortunately likely be davening at home. Um, it's important just to think about that in terms of your timing. Uh, you could sing Kadesh Orchatz, whatever your tune is, and you could, you know, you could go through the Seder plates and whatever you want to do before, but the first cup of wine or grape juice uh, should really not take place um, until 
nightfall. Okay. Um, there, if you want, there are more detailed laws about uh, about the seder you could find on the shul's website. Laws of Pesach under the Learning Center um, goes into more laws. Uh, one other thing, which again, if this is your first seder or you want to mix things up a little bit, I uh, growing up. And our family, we all said Kiddush together, um, only on Seder nights. Normally, uh, my father would say Kiddush, but on Seder night, we'd all say Kiddush together. I don't know where the custom comes from, uh, but it is uh, an ancient custom. And it's a beautiful custom. It's a time we're engaging everyone. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to do to really invite everyone to do it together um, and say Kiddush together. Okay. Next, we go from Kaddish, we go to Orchatz. Orchatz, essentially, we wash our hands as if we're washing for bread. Um, Some have the custom that only the person leading the Seder does it. Some have the custom that everyone does it. Uh, whatever your custom is, is totally fine. Um, why are we washing our hands? You know, the, the, maybe there's a well-known idea, but it's worth uh, spelling out. And that is that um, we, there is a law. There is a law. If you look in the Shulchan Aruch, there's a law that any time you dip anything into a liquid, you must wash your hands. Okay? It's in the Shulchan Aruch. Um, and that means if you go ahead and you dip a um, cookie into chocolate milk, okay, um, I don't know who I'm speaking to. Okay, this you're probably not doing too much cookies and too many cookies into chocolate milk. But um, anything that you dip into a liquid, then um, you'd have to wash your hands. You'd have to wash your hands without saying a bracha. Now, we, for whatever reason, most people don't uh, do that nowadays. But on Seder night, we specifically do, and we kind of pick it up. Uh, we elevate, we step it up in terms of our, our, our the, the reason, sorry, the reason behind that is due to laws of tuma and tara, purity and impurity. That's where these laws stem from. So on Seder night specifically, even though we're not, we we don't have this custom. Many of us don't have the custom uh, during the rest of the year. But on Seder night specifically, we um, act as if we have all the levels of purity and impurity. Why? Because our home is a temple. Right? I've spoken about this many times before. You know, the shul is actually a replica of the home. Or maybe to say it better, the mishkan was modeled after what? The mishkan, the first place where karbanos were brought, the first place where Karbanos were slaughtered and offered and brought, where, where? The Jewish home in Mitzrayim. Well, the Jewish people are in Egypt. That was the first Mishkan. That was the first Beis Amigdash. It was a home of holiness. And then they built a Mishkan almost imitating that, right? And eventually we have a Beis Knesset, a show which imitates that. But really the true holy home, the true base, uh, base, uh, the place of holiness is really our home. And the night that we are meant to remind ourselves of that is specifically on Seder night. It's something which I think we're all appreciating more. I think that it's, it's safe to say that there is so much more learning going on in all of our homes these days. I think for many people, there's so much more davening going on in many of our homes these days. Uh, thank God for Zoom and all of those things. Uh, because, but but it's, on Seder night, we are really trying to imagine our homes um, in the fullest sense of the word as a mikdash, as a holy place. It's the first base of mikdash was the Jewish home. And on Seder night, we are acting like Kohanim. That's, by the way, why some dress in white on Seder night. And that's why we wash our hands. What we're doing is we are acting like Kohanim because our house is a temple. And that is not just a conceptual idea. What that means practically is how are we acting in this home? Maybe every day of the year might be a little bit too much, but at least on Seder night, right? What conversations are taking place at the meal, right? Um, and, and something to think about, by the way, if you have guests, you know, the more you can think about ahead of time what you want to talk about. No one wants to talk about the virus, okay? Do yourself a favor. Think of something, you know, meaningful that people could talk about during your Seder. Think about some topics that you could think about with your kids. Um, you know, when I, I, I was blown away, um, who was it? I think it's Maish Bain. Maish Bain is the, someone on the OU. Um, and he says, I forget exactly how long, he said he spends hours preparing for his Shabbos meals. 
hours preparing for a Shabbos meals. I have many friends who used to go to this man's house. He's, he's the, not the president, whatever. He's one of the top people in the OU. And many friends used to go to his house in, uh, in, in New York uh, for Shabbos meals. And they would always tell me how the conversations at the table were just so enriching and unbelievable and engaging and always so impressed. Like, how does he, how, how is it? And then I found out, I read it, he wrote about himself a, while, you know, a little while ago. And he wrote that he spends hours thinking about the types of conversations he is going to have at his meal. Now, we can't always do that. You know, sometimes when I'm walking home from shul on Friday night, I try to spend two minutes thinking about what kind of conversations I can have with my kids. But this is Seder night, and our house is a temple. Take a few minutes now. What are the conversations? How could you guide the conversation? In a normal, not like a weirdo way. You know what I mean? In other words, just like things that you could talk about with whoever is at your house, uh, interesting things that would be appropriate for your guests that you could lead the conversation about something meaningful to imagine and remind ourselves we are in a mikdash at this time. Okay? Let's go on to Karpas. Again, if you have any questions, thoughts, uh, please feel free to pipe up. Okay, Karpas. What takes place during Karpas? We are dipping a vegetable into salt water, varying customs about what the vegetable is. Could I get a hands up for celery? Any celery eaters over here for Karpas? Okay. Potatoes? Oh, there we go. Fantastic. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm always in the minority on the potatoes. Uh, potatoes are more filling, just saying. Um, but anyway, the point is that you are supposed to really ideally not eat um, a very large portion of, um, of this vegetable. Um, and that's true for halachic reasons, but also conceptually, uh, conceptually, um, it, it does, it does, let's, let's think about this conceptually, okay? And it, it goes like this. The Bach, one of the great, uh, halachic commentators suggests, uh, he says, he, the, the reason he gives behind eating appetizers is that wealthy people eat appetizers, right? As you see in your source sheets, uh, there are no appetizers at a McDonald's Happy Meal, I am told, right? Uh, but there are appetizers when you go to a fancy restaurant or a fancy meal, um, you have appetizers, right? Um, that's a fancy and wealthy and affluent thing to do. So on Seder night, whatever your regular status may be, and especially if you're by yourself in Seder and you're going really, really simple, which is totally, totally, totally appropriate, um, especially this year, don't, don't stress out over what you're eating. Uh, but we want to have an appetizer because we are kings, we are special, and therefore we have an appetizer. But here's the, here's the catch. Rav Yosef Tzvi Ramon, um, who has the most awesome Haggadah, which is in both Hebrew and English. Um, I don't know who's delivering these days, but it's my favorite Haggadah. It's just awesome. It's amazing. He has so many amazing insights. Um, and he adds the following idea to this. He says, but wait a second. Typically, what is the purpose of an appetizer? Purpose of an appetizer, okay? So um, the real purpose of an appetizer, if it's done correctly, is it's supposed to whet your appetite, Right? You know, a shmorg at a wedding, it just fills you up uh, and you don't really need the meal. But a real true appetizer, you have a nice salad and it's supposed to whet your appetite. That's the idea of it's an appetizer. It creates an appetite and then you go and have the meal. Well, this is a very cruel appetizer. Why? Because you have the appetizer and then you wait, depends on your Seder, anywhere between, I don't know, 20 minutes to like three hours until you eat, right? This is a really dumb, poorly thought out appetizer. Right? Um, so what is the Bach talking about when he says that, you know, we're acting like we're wealthy. If this is really all about having an appetizer, it doesn't seem to make too much sense. But Rav Yosef Rimon explains quite beautifully. He says no. He says yes, what we're experiencing and celebrating on Seder night is freedom. And a sense of we are in control. To be free is not just free, is free to do anything, but also free to make choices. Free to, um, to, to exercise our free will. And therefore, what we are doing is we're not only free to do things, 
We're also free to not do things, to decline, to have restraint. And that, in essence, is actually one of the greatest signs of freedom, right? There is freedom that I'm free to just act, do whatever I want, but there is the greater level of freedom is when I'm actually able to use my freedom and choose not to do things, to hold myself back. That demonstrates a more refined, more elevated type of freedom. So yes, that's exactly the point, right? The most tempting thing for those who, who only have, you know, again, you're ideally supposed to have less than a kazai, so essentially the size of a golf ball of the potato or celery, and it's quite small, and it's salt water, so you're like, ah, I really want to eat, and that's exactly the point. You're celebrating the fact that you are a free person, and that means not only free to indulge what you will at your meal, whatever you're eating, but you're free to say, no, I am now going to wait, I'm going to hold back, and that is the, that is the, perhaps the deeper understanding behind this appetizer with all its challenges. What it allows us to do is exhibit and exercise our true freedom. Okay, um, let's move on to yachatz. Yachatz is the next section where we break the middle matzah into two. The smaller half stays between the, the other two matzahs, and the larger one is hidden and is placed in a bag and saved for afikomen. Let's do a very, very quick history of the stealing of the afikomen. Who steals afikomens in their home? Is that like a thing? Yeah? No? I'm getting a hand up and a no. Yes? Yes? Mark, you steal your afi coin? Okay. Um, okay, fantastic. Okay, good. So where does this custom come from? The truth is it's kind of a funny custom. Um, the Gemara, the Talmud speaks about chotfin, esamatzos, which literally means, uh, which literally means to snatch um, the afikomen. And what Rashi explains, you know what Rashi says, and this is such an important um, comment, Rashi says, you know what it means that you should snatch the matzah? Not what you are thinking. What it means is you should have a really quick seder so that the kids will be able to be engaged. That's what it means. You snatch the matzah, meaning you move quickly so you could quickly get to the matzah. Okay, so for anyone who has a terribly long Seder and the kids are losing their minds, you are failing at what you're supposed to be doing on Seder nights. Okay, we can talk about later what you could and should skip if you need to, but according to Rashi, and, and many take issue with that. They say, really, you're supposed to run through the whole thing? So people take issue with that, but the principle is still true. If you are um, just dragging on and not, you know, not, not being able to, to engage the people at your Seder, um, that's not correct. It's okay to skip certain parts to be able to uh, get everyone connected. One thing that we do, again, we, 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 we take our time going through Magid um, in our family, but one thing we do, uh, inspired by Rashi perhaps, is that we have a stash of candy and any child who asks any question gets a candy. Um, at this point, I think they might be immune to candies because they've had so much candy over the past two weeks. Am I the only one? No, not the only one. Okay. Um, yeah, so they've had quite too much candy, uh, but they'll still enjoy the candy. Um, and the goal is they ask any question, um, then they get a candy, right? Engage people, right? So you have to know your crowd. If you have adults, that's obvious. Might work. Depends on your adults. But the goal is at least the philosophical idea that Rashi is presenting is that you have to keep people engaged. Again, most people disagree. The Rambam explains what this Gemara means. is not that you jump to the end of the, of the Seder. Rather, what he says is you pass the matzah from one person to the other. Okay, why? To engage people. Same reason, to engage people. And actually some Svartim have that custom. They pick up the matzah and they pass it around the table like hot potatoes. That's what they do with the matzah, okay? Then later on, we don't even know when. It's, it's a, it's, it only goes back a few hundred years. Uh, but some start speaking about this, this custom of, of, of stealing the matzah. And actually the, the earliest sources that speak about it actually um, blast it. They say it's a terrible minhag. Uh, we're teaching our children to, to steal on Seder nights. How could you do such a thing? And many take issue with it. Bottom line is it's, it seems to be a rather accepted custom. And the goal 
goal is to engage the children, right? To engage the people there or whoever's there. It could be adults. Um, if you're engaging people, it's okay. Um, and that's, and that's, and that's the, the quick short story of the Afikomen. Again, so the whole notion of stealing the Afikomen is really a pretty... Uh, modern development. By modern, I mean the past couple hundred years. Um, it's certainly not the simple understanding of that Talmudic passage, but people trace it back to that Talmudic passage. Okay, why are we breaking the matzah? What are we doing? Um, what we're trying to do is that we are reminding ourselves the first stage, really the, the whole goal of Seder night is we are expected to kind of relive the experience. We begin the Seder, um, although some of the themes have been about royalty, specifically the matzah in the beginning is meant to represent lechem oni. It's the bread of afflictions, the bread of being slaves. And when you don't have a lot, you save for later, right? Uh, so you stock your toilet paper, you stock your matzah, right? And so basically you break the matzah, you save part of it. Um, and the idea being that we are supposed to reminding ourselves that we don't have so much, at least the Jewish people in Egypt, they were slaves. And the notion of hiding, of, of keeping some, breaking it in half and keeping some for later is a way of, of experiencing or acting out um, that we are slaves. And, and really that's the, one of the first steps where we see how important it is that we not only speak to the story, but we act the story. We're, it's supposed to be a full-fledged experience, right? We need to really be imagining ourselves as best as possible being there. At, at one point in my home stater, we'll talk about this next Thursday night, um, usually at one point in my home stater, and we do this, we would have done this the second stater, is, uh, you know, we get my wife's tickles out, and we all put them on our head, and we are all slaves breaking free from Egypt, and we basically go marching around the whole house, and, and it's great. Um, but really, you have to, and, and again, that's a little kooky maybe, but Oh, really? How many cups of wine you guys drink? My kids get none, but I am, you know, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> only, two cu- only two cups in. But thanks, Yitzhi. It was good thing you unmuted yourself for that very essential question. <laughs> okay. Um, and it doesn't take much for, okay. Um, so uh, that, that being said, again, if that's too kooky for you, whatever it may be, but really spend time imagining yourself in Mitzrayim, imagining yourself what it means to have a piece of matzah that you have to save for later because you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Think, experience emotionally, in, you know, not just speaking the words, but try to experience the Seder. The, the authors, those who put together the Seder are asking us to do that. Okay, let's get into Magid. Um, essentially, the halacha, the goal of Magid is to say the story. Um, you could go quick. You could go slow. Um, everyone has different customs. This person reads. That person reads. Um, um, recently, I was uh, last year, I went to my brother's house for Seder. It was the first time we didn't do our own Seder in like many, many years. Um, and his custom was that each person um, didn't just read a part of the Haggadah, but they kind of introduced a different part of the Haggadah. That's nice. Whatever works for you. The goal is to say the story of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. Now, there are a lot of, it's a large section. And for some people, that's great. For some people, that's too much. And so at a bare, bare minimum, I would mention that, uh, not a bare, bare minimum, if you have really trying circumstances, call me offline, uh, but the, probably the two most important sections in terms of saying the story is one of the sections in the beginning, Avadim Hayinu Lefarah B'Mitzrayim. That section speaks about the fact that we were slaves, and then it talks about the fact that God took us out. There you have it. That's the whole story of the Exodus, okay? So if you are truly, truly in a rush, according to some, you could just say that passage. And then there's a passage at the end which says the story, but using the visual aids, Rabbi Gamliel Haya Omer, uh, where Rabbi Gamliel says, you know, he says, uh, whoever didn't say these words and doesn't, doesn't understand these words, they don't fulfill their obligation. It's important to say those words in English. And you kind of point to the matzah, you point to the marar, and you kind of experience the story and you say the story through those visual aids. So one of those sections is right in the beginning, Avadim Hayinu, one of them, Rabbi Gamliel. If you need to skip a little bit, it is not 
the biggest of deals. It really isn't, okay? Again, I'll say all everything, even though I do have younger children and we go through the whole Seder, uh, but if for whatever reason it's appropriate at your Seder, then that's okay to, um, to skip around. Um, okay, what else do we have over here? Um, what did I want to say? It's, it's worth pointing out that, especially for those, and we'll talk about this next week, but the, for those who understand the Magid um, is about saying, uh, sell, saying it over to someone. From the word Lehagid means to say something to someone else. Um, there are those who interpret the word Magid from the word Agada, which means kind of stories. And it's not about telling it to someone else. It's about experiencing and thinking about stories. That means that even if you're by yourself, even if you're not telling the story to anyone else, you still are experiencing a Magid because the idea is that you're talking about the stories of Seder night. Okay. Um, again, if it's appropriate for your Seder, it might be a good time to have some discussion questions. Um, you know, if you really want to, you know, have a really somewhat risque one, maybe yes, maybe don't, depends on your crowd. Uh, but you could ask people if they believe in the story of the Exodus. Um, I think it's a great thing to discuss. And why, why not? I do. I hope you do too. Uh, but it's an important discussion to have. Um, it's a very important discussion to have for young children, for adults. Um, you know, there's a lot of philosophical, uh, you know, not philosophical, archaeological and, and historic discussion about these things. Do we believe the story that we're saying, that we're experiencing right now? Let's talk about that. I think that's an important thing to talk about. I actually am, uh, I started a book two weeks ago and I never <laughs> had a chance to read it since then. Uh, but there's this fascinating book, which I've actually just started, Ani Mamin, uh, by uh, Rabbi Dr. Joshua Berman, um, who has a fascinating section on the historicity of uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Anyway, he is a historian and a, um, um, a f- uh, professor in Hebrew U, I believe. Anyway, okay, but the point is, it's a great... What's the name of the, the book? Is called Ani Mamin: Biblical Criticism, Historical Truth, and the Thirteen Principles of Faith by Rabbi Dr. Joshua Berman. Okay, good read, uh, excellent read. Okay, let's go a little bit further. Um, okay, so for those of you like me who like order, um, I want to share the following with you very briefly. There's a little chart in front of you, um, and one thing that I've always bo- been bothered by is the structure or the seeming lack of structure in the seder. Okay, um, the Seder is all right. The word Seder means order, um, but the, the, the book itself seems to be like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different uh, ideas that are just kind of thrown together. Um, it's, the editing job seems, frankly, always seemed to me to be terrible, right? It just seems like wh- where is the order in the text that we're reading? Okay, it's always troubled me. Um, and again, this is credit to Rav Yosef Tzvi Ramon. Um, he does a phenomenal job at showing that the Seder is actually, the Haggadah is actually one of the most organized, brilliantly organized books. Okay, so if you have the source sheet now, it would be a helpful time to pull it up because we're going to be talking about the different passages. Excuse me for one second. You could say I'm main by Zoom, by the way. Okay, um, here we go. Um, there we go. <laughs> so, um, okay, so here's the deal. Rabbi Ramon points out that the, the Haggadah, this is amazing to me, the Haggadah really, if you think about the structure, if you have a Haggadah in front of you, you could follow with that. If not, just see the chart and, and you'll follow this. The Haggadah actually is, there are four parts to the Haggadah and each part follows the exact same structure. There is a question because it's a night of questions. There is an answer. There is then praise. We're thanking God. Okay, and then there's part two, which also is question, answer, praise. Part three, question, answer, praise. Part four, question, answer, praise. Now, each one of these sections has a different theme. Okay, so bear with me. Now we're going to jump into it and see how, what that looks like, okay? The beginning of, this, of, the, of the section of Magid begins with the Manishtana, the most famous questions, okay? 
Manishna, that's a question. Why is this night different from all other nights? And then immediately after asking those questions, there's an answer. The answer is, Avadim hayinu We were slaves. That essentially answers all those questions. When you read it carefully, it's addressing the questions that the child or whomever is asking those questions just asked. And then immediately after that, it moves on to a section called Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu. People sing Baruch HaMakom Baruch, right? That section is a section of praise. Okay, so what is that section focusing on? If you were to read the words, Avadim Hayinu Lefarab Mitzrayim, speaks about the fact that we were physically subjugated to Paro, right? And then God saved us. We were no longer physically subjugated to Paro. And so that section focuses on the most superficial, most basic element of our freedom, and that is the physical redemption. We were slaves. We had terrible lives. It was terrible. And now we no longer have those terrible lives. And we thank you, God, for that. So the theme of that section revolves completely around the physical redemption. Next section. Okay, next section begins. Chacham mahu omer question mark, right? That's a question, right? This person, mahu, what does this person say, right? So that next section is a number of questions, Questions formulated, so to speak, by these four children, okay? And then, immediately after that section, we have answers. Initially, our forefathers, our ancestors, were idolaters. And now, now God brought us close to Him. Now God gave us the Torah. Now we have a relationship with God. And then that section concludes by saying, Baruch Shomer Haftachaso, again, a sense of praise. We're praising God for that redemption. What is that redemption? What is that, um, what is that theme? It's about the spiritual redemption, right? Because we're saying that we initially were idolaters and now we are no longer, right? So it says that we were, um, we, we were essentially spiritually enslaved. We didn't have a spiritual life. We had no connection to God. And now God, Kirvanu Amakum, God brought us close and we're thanking God for that, right? So the first question, answer, praise is all about the physical servitude and redemption. The second one is about the spiritual servitude and redemption, okay? So far, so good. This is cool, right? Question, answer, praise, right? Because again, it's not just about telling the story. The reason we have the praise is because we're telling the story, but also thanking God um, for what we experienced. Part three, what did Lavan attempt to do? Okay, question. And then we have, this is the longer one. This is the one we, we usually lose people. Okay, this is the Tzei Ulamad. This is where you have Pasuk after Pasuk after Pasuk going through the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And unfortunately, again, we would normally have so much more time to talk about what the significance of those Pasukim are. And I, I, I apologize, I don't, we don't have the time. Uh, but that's the answer. And then that section ends with the most famous of the praises, Dai Dayenu, Kamamalos, etc. And we go on to Dayenu, which is a praise. What's there, we're not focusing on one element of redemption, but rather we're focusing on, it's a textual, intellectual way of, of describing the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That's section three. And then part four, section four, begins with Matzah al Shuma. Why do we eat this Matzah? And then Rabbi Gamliel gives the answers to why we're eating these different things. There's a question, why do we eat these things? Rabbi Gamliel says, why we eat these things? And that section concludes with, right? That whole section where we thank God 
for, um, for, for all that he's given us, right? So again, you have question, answer, praise, and there it's not, that's a very brief um, section because the first, the section immediately before that is all about textual analysis. We're, we're connecting the story intellectually. The next one is a visual section. We say matzah. Why do we eat this matzah? Why do we eat this marar, right? We're pointing to the different things. We're picking, we're actually supposed to pick them up at that point because there we're experiencing it emotionally through, through visual aids and we're once again saying the story. So when we look at it this way, the, the Haggadah, amazingly, um, is actually incredibly misudar, is incredibly orderly, and we have four sections which have question, answer, praise. Each section focuses on something else. One focuses on the physical redemption, the other on the spiritual redemption, the next on the textual study, and the last on the visualization through the objects. Now, normally we would have a whole class going through Magid itself and, and, and just explaining the different text itself uh, due to the time and due to the, we're just not going to be able to do that. Um, again, if you, if you my, my uh, top uh, Haggadah choice, I so strongly recommend, it's a little pricey, but it's worth it, um, is Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Ramon's Haggadah, Hebrew and English, and probably a few other languages, it is awesome. And he has short, beautiful, uh, touching ideas, uh, which, which could even be read during the Seder and still be engaged. You know, there's always the person who's like reading like page after page and completely out of it during the Seder. Don't be that person. Uh, but it's short little snippets, which you can read quickly, but he does a great job in encompassing beautiful, profound ideas into short little uh, pieces. And he also adds all the laws. It's just in a wonderful, wonderful Haggadah. Um, okay, let's get into let's let's uh, get into the last parts of the Haggadah. Uh, of course, there's Halal, there's Barak. We, we say Birkas Amazon. That's straightforward. Um, uh, there's Tzafon. What is Tzafon all about? Sorry, before Birkas Amazon, excuse me. Uh, before Tzafon, uh, what is there? That essentially is the last matzah that we eat. It's a reminder of the Karban Pesach at this time in. In the time that we still had the base of Migdash, people would eat the Karban Pesach at this time. We don't have the Karban Pesach, and therefore we eat matzah in its stead. Um, again, if you want all the different laws about how to do so properly, go to the Learning Center on our website, and it has just a very brief overview of all the laws of Seder nights, uh, portions, etc., etc. If you're eating like seven matzahs to fulfill your obligation of each matzah, you are totally doing it wrong. Uh, there's not enough matzah in the world right now for that, so please don't. Uh, but really, the portions are quite small. Uh, again, go to the Learning Center. It gives all the portions and all that stuff. Um, why are we, do- what are we doing right now? Okay, so again, it's a funny time to be eating the Karban Pesach. We just had a scrumptious meal. Um, Rav Cook beautifully explains this exactly the point. And that is that this last eating that we're doing, what would in Amir Tashem Bekarov, Amir Tashem, God willing, very soon, uh, when the base of Migdash is rebuilt, we'll be eating that Karban Pesach. In the meantime, we're eating the Matzah. But it's a funny time to eat something. If it's so important, why are we eating it on a full stomach, right? Um, we would imagine if this is the most important time, we should be saving up and we should eat it first. So we're so excited about it. Why do we eat the Karban Pesach or its replacement on a full stomach? Rav Cook explains this exactly the point. You know, there are different levels to eating. There's regular eating that you and I do. Um, and that is that, you know, there's different levels even of the regular eating that we do. There is, you know, there's uh, times that we eat because we need to eat. Um, there are times that we eat because we just want to eat, right? Um, but there is a more elevated type of eating. And that is that eating, we're not eating um, as a means to an end. We're not eating because we're hungry and want to supply, f- fulfill some need, whether it's uh, to, to take care of our anxiety or because of the fact that we have hunger. But it's basically, um, it is something which is, is, is a pure eating. I'm not hungry. I don't need this food. It's not about me. I'm eating this food just for God. 
I'm eating this food. I'm doing something physical, but I'm elevating the physical because I'm not hungry right now, right? You should leave a little bit of room. You shouldn't be so stuffed that you don't want to look at matzah, right? Uh, so you don't want to, you want to hold back a little bit. But the goal is that we're not eating. It's not about hunger right now. It's just I'm eating for God. I'm doing the most base, most often something which is so usually self-serving. I eat because I'm hungry um, or for whatever other reason. And here I'm eating pure. I'm eating just for Hashem. That is the pure eating that's taking place towards the end of the Seder. And really, it's supposed to be an expression of our yearning to live a life of holiness with no selfish pursuits. Again, it's a night of complete transformation. That is the nth degree. Again, that's not something that we could typically on a daily basis experience. The Mestilas Yesharim, Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in his book, Mestilas Yesharim, he has a beautiful ladder explaining the heights of greatness. And the highest level is this level. The highest level is where we're eating and we're not thinking about ourselves whatsoever. I'm eating because I need to do what God wants me to do and survive. I'm eating for God, right? That's not a level that uh, we could even, you know, that, that we could touch right now. But on Seder night, it's so important to realize we are, again, our house was transformed into Beis HaMikdash. That we are Kohanim. Whether you're by yourself, whether you're with someone else, your house is the holiest of places and the eating that's taking place there, the food that we're eating is like food being brought onto Mizbeach. It's not about us. It's about Hashem. We, yes, we may not be able to live that reality forever, but on one night of the year, touch that, feel that, experience that. You are truly on the highest of levels. We are transforming our house into the holiest of places. And on Seder night, we are given the, the right. The, God is saying, Asher I chose you. And this is a night that he wants us to feel that closeness and that holiness. And that's why we're able to have this pure eating at the end of our meal to really elevate the mundane in that fashion. The last section, of course, there's Hallel. Um, Sing, 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 please. You know, uh, you know, if you're children, you know, if, if whoever you're going to have at your Seder, uh, make sure they know the songs. Um, this is a good time uh, back to, you can take yourself off mute if you, if you want. We are three cups in for Hallel, right? So it's a time that, you know, let loose, really. It, it's just sing, just sing from your heart. Um, it, it's, 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 it's an opportunity to thank God with no bars held at that point. Um, and it's such, such a beautiful time. It's, uh, I just, my father just showed up. I saw his image again. Uh, that's my fondest memories. Actually, I'll share with you two things. Things for my Seder. I'll, share, I'll quote my father. As a little kid, I had uh, the great uh, joy of sitting next to my father uh, for Seder, and he used to, uh, and one time he caught me uh, counting pages. You know, we do that like sometimes Rosh Hashanah and Kippur um, or in Shul. Um, so I was doing that at the Seder. I was like, oh my gosh, like, say Ulamad, you got to be kidding me. Like, what are we saying over here? I was like, whatever age I was. Um, 18. No, just kidding. Uh, so I was counting pages and my, and my father saw what I was doing and he turned to me and he's quoted something beautiful from his, from his Rebbe, from the Majitsa Rebbe. And he said, you know, it's so important in life not to count the pages that you still have to do, but instead to count the pages that you've already covered. And it's such a beautiful life lesson, not just for Seder night, of course, but really in life so often, and especially now, there's so much anxiety about all the things we need to do and all the unknowns. And it's so important, instead of always thinking ahead, take a moment, look back. Think about all the pages. Think about all the things we've all done in our own lives, all the challenging moments in our lives that we've been able to persevere and accomplish. Look back at all the pages of your own life story, how far you've come, and don't worry so much about the pages that are ahead of you. Okay, thank you, Abba, for that beautiful lesson. That's one that I want to share for my father. The other thing, and really the highlights um, of our Seder was Hallel, is the opportunity to just sing and sing and sing beautifully together. So whether you're by yourself, whether you're with others, um, make up some tunes. Next Thursday night, I'll be sharing with you um, Disney tunes for Hallel, whatever. Trust me, we're going to have a good time. Uh, but basically, it should be an opportunity to sing, to sing to God um, and to let loose and, and just sing uh, from the bottom of your heart. So um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, 
beautiful part of the Haggadah. And the last part of the Haggadah is Nirza, that Rav Kook points out that whereas the other parts of the Haggadah all have a directive, they tell you what to do. Um, you know, Kadesh, you should make Kiddush. Yachatz, you break it, right? Nirza is, is not a verb. It basically is just, it's a state of being. God has accepted our avoda. God has accepted our service. And that's such an important thing to reflect upon all the time, but especially on Seder nights, right? We, 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 you know, sometimes we have this very loud and strong inner critic that doesn't allow us to really appreciate what we've done and what we've accomplished. Nirza is saying, no, you have to just reflect on the fact that God has accepted your Seder. Whether your Seder is one person, whether your Seder is full of Divrei Torah, whether you're falling asleep at your Seder, whether you're saying the, all the words, some of the words, Nirza is part of every person's Seder. And it's just a section. There's words and there's things we say, but it, it, the main point is just to take that time and to, Nirza means it's Biratzon, right? Ritzay, God accepts Ratzon, meaning God has, has taken favor, God has accepted favorably what we just experienced. Can we do that? Can we, can we forgive ourselves enough? Can we love ourselves enough to sit there at the end of the Seder and say, no matter what we've done or didn't do, God has accepted our voda. God loves us and God has accepted us. Um, what we say during that time is not as important. There's some beautiful songs, some fun songs, Chad uh, Gadya, who knows one. You know, the, the, the mystics compare that moment of Nirza. You know, it's a very fun time. You know, we sing Who Knows One in English and we have some crazy fun tune for Chagadia and it's really wild and everyone's jumping up and down at the end of the Seder. We're all crazy. The kids are crazy on sugar. Some of us drink four cups of wine. It's lots of fun. But the truth is what it really is that the, 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 the mystics explain is that on, a, on the deepest of levels, what it really is, it's the equivalent of the last moments of Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur. The last moments of Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur, right? That is the most important, right? You, you, if you've been in Shul for Ne'ilah, right? Hashem, Kim, Hashem, Baruch Hashem, right? We're, 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 we're losing it at that moment. It's the most powerful, most uplifting moment. And we feel so close to God because we just went through a whole Yom Kippur. Can we experience that same sense of closeness, same sense of love from God at that moment? That's what we're expected to do. And because it's true. Because God laid out for us what we're supposed to be doing on Seder night and saying that, you know, had you been there, you would have been redeemed. God is saying, I would have taken you out of Mitzrayim. I would have performed the greatest of miracles for you because you are worth it. And so whatever your Seder ultimately looks like at those last moments to just close your eyes and think about the fact how much God loves us, how God has accepted our tefillos on this night and really, truly every night and every day. And just to sit there with that beautiful thought. That is how we're expected to end the Seder. And of course, it's not an idea for Seder nights alone. It's something we should be thinking about as often as we possibly can. So this is a brief overview of the Haggadah of the Seder night. Uh, again, we unfortunately don't have the time to go into the details of the Seder, um, excuse me, of the, of, of the Haggadah, but I encourage you, if you have the time, if you have the time, to spend some time just reading through Magid, uh, preparing some thoughts. We spoke about some different ideas. Next Thursday morning, we'll speak about solo Seders. Again, if you are not going to be with loved ones and they need you, perhaps, send a letter uh, that they'll open before Yom Tev, that they'll read only at the Seder. I think it'll be so touching for them to see from you, if you have children, see from the children. Uh, it's a way of connecting you send it to your children, they'll send it to you. You send it to your, your loved ones, your friends, whatever it is. It's a way of bringing ourselves closer um, during a time that we don't feel so close with one another. Um, and um, of course, the first Seder, um, everyone was stuck at home. God told them they have to stay at home. And so we're also going to be likely stuck at home. Uh, but just like that night, God looked over us. God um, 
looked at each family independently, individually, and demonstrated his love for us and redeemed us. May God do the same this year as well. Have a good night. Wonderful to see you all. And um, I'll see you all. Well, we have our regular nightly classes starting again Sunday night, 8 o'clock for about 20 minutes or so. Laws of Pesach as well as Shmir Salashon. Next Thursday, 11 a.m. and 9 p.m., two classes on the Seder. I'll see you then. Tomorrow night, uh, we have guest Chazan, Chazan Yaakov Motsin. We are once again going to do Kabbalah Shabbos. There is a Zoom video this time. Uh, please what check time? the... Uh, 6 p.m., 6 p.m. Sharp. My father is a timely person. I'm going to push him off for, for a minute or two. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, but, but we'll be starting as early as, po- as, as on time as possible. I encourage you, I enjoy, invite you all to join us. It was a beautiful davening, a truly, truly uplifting davening um, for all of us. So you, the Zoom information is on the emails or on Facebook. And I look forward to seeing you all then. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much for joining. Take care. Good night. Good night, everyone. Take care. Good to see you all.